0: can turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 37 and 39, or 37 through 39. <clears throat> We've been considering, amen, how we may, via divine grace, meet the spiritual challenges of family life in these last and dangerous days. We've read... Jesus' words here from Matthew's gospel, Matthew 24, starting in verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, till the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Amen. Now turn over again to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. And this, of course, is, if you will, a summary of this man's testimony, Noah, recorded for us here in verse 7. But Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, Moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And thus we conclude that Noah's experience is a biblical model and pattern for family survival in these perilous times in which we live. The final part of our message here, raising a godly family in these last days. Lord, we do need you here today. We come to you in the name of Jesus. Father God, we're thankful for the precious blood of the Lamb. I do plead the blood over body, soul, and spirit. I plead the blood of Jesus over this gathering. Father, I ask, Lord, for the ministry of your spirit to apply thy word, that you would speak here through me to us, Father, and that we would hear, Lord, what you were saying to us in this hour. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Everyone say amen. Amen. So last week we learned from examining, examining Noah's experience two things. Namely, the patriarch or the head of the household must have a divinely inspired division or vision rather. And of course, you know, just the Bible Absolutely, you must believe and apply the Bible. But there is a uniqueness, amen, where God wants to lead us, and particularly how, from day to day, that we do flesh out the Scriptures. It's important for you to have a direct word from God. And, uh, you know, looking back in my experience, for the most part, you know, most families that uh, are destroyed, it's for a lack of sound spiritual leadership. Leadership is so very, very important, amen? And number two, amen, if we truly fear God, then we are going to act accordingly. And so the fear of the Lord or the fear of God, which is so despised and rejected in this soft effeminate generation, amen, a contrary To what many would assert, amen, it is an essential and godly motivation. If you don't fear God, amen, you are cross-eyed in the spirit at best. Amen, you're going to be blind. You're going to see absolutely nothing. You hear people say, God doesn't want me to fear him. You are looking at someone who does not know God. Amen. So we continue with our next observation. Amen. It says he or Noah prepared an ark to the saving of his house. And so preparation is essential. Preparation is essential. If you're going to raise a godly family in this wicked generation, then you must prepare. Amen. And that word in the, in the original uh, Greek means to build, to make, to furnish, To make ready, to erect and construct with the idea of adorning and equipping with all things necessary. Amen. So it's it's not enough merely to be exposed to the truth. Amen. I know what a godly family looks like. I know, amen, principles that need to be applied to raise a godly family. I'm familiar with doctrines that can be practically applied to my marriage in my home. It's not enough to simply have an understanding or to be exposed to that light. Noah didn't simply hear God's warning. He acted in accordance with what God told him, and he did exactly as God instructed him to do. It's not enough to talk about religion, amen. You've got to put true biblical Christianity into practice. And not just one day a week, not just, well, I did that two years ago, amen, I'm not quite doing it anymore, consistently living the truth. Somebody say amen. Amen. But you know, you have that loud, prevalent, amen, influential, antinomian voice, Amen. It just speaks everywhere declaring that doing is not necessary under grace. Amen. You mustn't worry about doing. Amen. Well, you know, they frame that in that sort of sentence, that doing is not necessary under grace. Well, rather, doing is possible, praise God, under grace. Aren't you thankful? You can do because you're under grace. It's a wrong way to look at it. And the Bible didn't teach anything like that. Amen. I'm coming to tell you, you don't do what God tells you to do. You and your family are going to perish. There's some things you're going to have to do. You're going to have to implement the truth. And if you don't do it, amen, don't, don't act like you're under grace. You're rejecting grace. Amen. Thus, the salvation of Noah and the salvation of his household wasn't only contingent on knowing the will of God and having the word of the Lord, which he did. And that was important. That's really the first point uh, that we established. You have to have direction from God, but that's not the end of it. Amen. It was imperative that Noah did the will of God and obeyed the word of God. Yes, the grace that Noah found in the eyes of the Lord and the accompanying illumination was absolutely essential. And that vision is necessary. But Noah and his family likewise had to act on that same vision. They had to be faithful to that vision or they never would have realized the salvation of God that he promised Through his word. Somebody say amen. Amen. Likewise, only by righteously acting on the truth that we hear and that we see, the illumination that God has privileged us with, do we confirm that we truly believe God. You know, that's the great era of uh, much of the thinking today, is the separation of acting and believing. And that cannot be scripturally Separated. Amen. You don't act on it. You don't believe it. Don't, don't quote the Bible to me. You don't live it. You don't believe it. Amen. That's an absolute. The scriptures say, Amen, that faith without works is dead. Action. Amen. In accordance with what your stated belief is. Amen. That verifies. Amen. Like Noah. Hallelujah. God will indeed speak to us. He will illuminate us and he will illuminate us personally. Amen. He will give us his divine plan. Amen. For not only our salvation, but the salvation of our family as well. Do you believe that? If you seek God, God is going to lead you in the narrow way. He will always lead that genuine seeker into the way of truth by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost comes to guide us in the truth, to comfort us in the narrow way. And that's exactly what will happen. You want to know what God says about it, then God will reveal it to you. But like Noah, we must also be attentive to, moment by moment, that, that voice, sensitive to the voice of God. And then we must actively and faithfully, amen, do what God is telling us to do or act upon that truth. As we know, Jesus declared in Matthew 7 and 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. You see, it's not what we say that confirms whether we're real Christians or whether we really believe the Bible. But it's what we do that confirms, amen, whether we're real Christians whether we'll even go to heaven or not. So again, it's not if we're exposed to the truth. It's not merely if we understand the truth or even speak the truth that confirms whether we actually believe or not, but rather what we do in regards to all the light that we have. Even if we seek to teach others or quote things out of the scripture, that we refuse to conform to ourselves, amen. We are tinkling, symbol, sounding brass. We believe nothing. We do not love Christ, and we do not love the truth that is Christ, amen. Now, in the scriptures, God's will, the application of God's unique plan for us, amen, for man, is often compared to wisely building a natural structure. Jesus said in Luke 6, verses 46 through 48, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose the stream that beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it for it was founded upon a rock. And so you could just as well plug in, even when Jesus just uses the term generally man, you could say Noah. He is like Noah who built an ark and he dig deep. He laid the foundation on a rock. Now we know he was building a boat and not a, a, a stationary uh, structure a house. But he was building a, a, a boat and he did so according, faithfully to what God said. And when the flood arose, that uh, that boat didn't sink, that boat floated, amen. It's the same for you and I and the vision for our households. Amen. Jesus said unto Peter after he declared the revelation that he was indeed the Christ upon this rock, this a revelation, amen, and the exercising or acting thereupon, I will build my church in the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. Hence, God has his part, and his part is to give us the word of God, amen, to apply the word of God, to reveal his vision, amen, for the salvation of our household. And then we have our own, and that is executing that vision or that plan, building the house. But obviously, we cannot build a house in and of ourselves. It must be under his guidance and his leadership. Psalms 127, and one except the Lord build a house. They labor in vain that built it, except the Lord keep the city. The watchman waketh, but in vain. So we know that Noah built that ark, but ultimately God was the architect, amen? There's no ark without God, amen? It was ultimately his plan, amen? As I mentioned, Noah's family should have been very thankful, amen, for the patriarchal leadership of Noah. Nonetheless, family salvation certainly demanded not just Noah, but Noah's entire family, his wife and his sons, and their wives, amen, they all had to believe amen. the vision that God com- communicated to Noah and Noah obviously communicated to them. They had, it was demanded of them that they participate, amen, and that they contribute, amen, or they themselves would not have been saved. So yes, the patriarch must have the vision, but the family also has a moral obligation to, to yield, to submit, and to follow. And so, ladies, wives, and children, are you fully given over, amen, to your father and your husband's vision? Or do you fight? Or do you resist, God forbid, that vision, any of it? Amen? Or do you perhaps... It's really not that important to you. If either are the case, and you're not as passionate as he is, you undermine your own salvation. And you'll not be able to blame anyone but yourself. If that patriarch has presented the way and has lived the way, not enough just to talk about it, But if you live it and you've communicated that to your children and sought to bring that them in, amen, and to your wife, but they refuse to passionately enter in, then the fault is upon them and they deserve to drown in the waters of judgment. Somebody say praise God. God. So Noah had to see and Noah had to act and likewise his family had to see and had to act, or they would have failed to enter into the ark. You know, you say, well, and, and the story of Noah uh, has a happy ending, if you will, because his entire family, uh, were they were all saved. But another Old Testament narrative that Jesus uh, often pointed to, like the story of Noah, that uh, describes or parallels uh, the days right before his coming was the story, about Lot and his escape out of Sodom. But you'll remember uh, in that story that uh, Lot's wife didn't survive because she didn't believe and she didn't follow. Amen. And so she perished and did not escape. Thus, it's important to note that Noah didn't build the ark that saved his entire family alone. His family was deeply involved and passionately aligned, and that's so, so very important. So, you know, where the emphasis last week was on the patriarch, you must have a vision from God. Amen, you must know, amen, have a plan that God gives you for the salvation of your family, amen, righteously building upon that spiritual house and establishing it. But woe be unto the family, to the wife or children, whose father and husband indeed has a vision, but they refuse to fully hear and submit. Amen? So, you know, you, you have people, you see this all the time, where there's one parent, amen, where the wife might be really uh, spiritually impressed in, or the father. And What a terrible thing to see, you know, wives and children just simply being drug along for the ride, but whose heart is not really in full agreement. Amen. If you're not in full agreement with your husband, if you're not in full agreement with your father, unless what that uh, plan involves is something clearly unscriptural, amen, your husband says we're going to sell cocaine to finance our ministry. Amen. You can't agree with that. Amen. But it's something that stupid and that obvious. That's not usually the case. I just don't agree. I don't see it uh, that way. God's not telling me that. Amen. You are in sin. You're not totally sold out to that, you're not as excited. You sit down, your father begins to explain. Wife, your, your husband sits you down. sin you better repent you better get in this altar you better get close to the fire get that cold heart warmed up amen and receive from that authority obviously for the entire family for presumably many many years how many years I mean I think the, the oldest person in here I, I I don't think there's anybody here that's been saved 50 years is it so who's been saved 40 years Who's been saved? 30. Okay. Just a few of us been saved. 30. These folks, they, they worked on this arc for, we don't know the exact, but upwards of a hundred years without distraction, without losing the victory, without losing passion. Amen. They didn't sleep in and forget about it. Amen. They, they didn't, you know, well, you know, three, or four years ago, you remember that, that Noah's family, old Noah's family passed by there. They're all over that boat out there. They're building, but that thing's just sitting in there rotten, hadn't been working on it for three or four years. No, no, no. They were constantly working without distraction. Amen. That demanded unparalleled commitment. Amen. And that commitment came from faith in what God had said. They were moved by fear. And they never lost that. And so indeed, there is a discipline to setting the affections on things above. There is a discipline to purposing in the heart to strive to enter in at the straight gate. There is a discipline to Amen, that's demanded of the life to dig deeper to build. Amen, ultimately, that discipline, amen, lies upon every one of us. And no one can make us do that ourselves. See, so the Christian life, it demands that you take inventory yourself and say, Self, so, turn around here, let me look you in the face. I'm going to call a prayer meeting. I'm going to call the fast. I feel myself growing cold. I, I sense inwardly I'm not as passionate about the things of God. Amen. If you don't have those conversations with yourself, you're going to go to hell. Amen. And if you're the leader of your household and you don't have enough spiritual wherewith to have that conversation with yourself, you're a dangerous Dangerous man. Amen. And for those of you, I'm called to preach. And you can't keep yourself on fire. You're deceived. You're going to destroy people if they're under you. You've got to have enough wherewith to take inventory over yourself. Amen. There are ebbs and flow to the spiritual life. But when you sense that you are growing cold you better take action, and you better take action quickly, amen, because if you're passive and just sit there, then guess what's going to happen? When you sense death coming on, amen, that death is coming to take life, and if you sit there, that's exactly what what that death is going to do. If you don't resist death, death is going to kill you. Amen? It's an amazing thing that people know and sense when you really sit them down. What's going on with you? Well, I'm, you know, losing the fire, brother. Well, I'm not as pressed in as I used to be. Well, brother, amen, I'm struggling against backsliding. Then why don't you act and press in? What you waiting for? Amen? Well, I'm waiting for God. God's already told you. You better get up or you're going to die. Uh-huh. Come on. I'm waiting for you to come lay hands on me. No anointing will touch me. You know, God will be merciful. He, he may speak to you. He may send you someone anointed, that anointing quicken you and warn you. But you're going to have to choose to press into Jesus for yourself. There's a discipline. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Amen. No real vision. You lose the vision and the longer. Amen. That you stay outside of the tangible presence of God. Every one of us need real encounters with God. I'm not talking about feelings, but I'm talking about praying through till you know you're in the presence of Almighty God. Amen. You've got to have that. Amen. You say, well, I'm in a good church. That's not enough. Amen. A good church is very important. Amen. But just as important, more important is your personal contact direct with God. Amen. And the longer you go without being in the real presence, the tangible presence of God, you are going to lose whatever vision you do have. That's why people at Backslide, you, you can talk to them truth or you said, oh God, I didn't believe. I never did believe any of that. And yet you were with them. And they lived that way, and they acted that way, and they taught. Not that they never believed it. Some, some of them didn't. But there are a lot of folks that did believe it. But they so long, outside of the presence of God, they have lost the vision. Amen. They go through that pattern. There's a flipping of the priorities from sacrificing for the eternal. Amen. And denying the temporal. That ought to be the manner of your life. mean, You see, backsliders don't generally go out. And poor Jack Daniels, that didn't have worse. First, this happens. You see people, amen. They were always denying themselves and denying, amen, the temporal so that they could build up on the eternal. Amen. And then that flips as they, you know, begin to sacrifice for the temporal things. Amen. But they deny the spiritual. Oh, they're gonna be faithful at their job. They're gonna be on time. Amen. They're going to, because they know if they're not faithful in that job, they're gonna get fired. Amen. They're gonna show up. Amen. Because that's what they're supposed to do. It doesn't matter if they stayed until two the night before. Is that right? Hey Ben, they're going to get up. Oh, I got to get up at six. I was an idiot to stay up at two, but I'm going to show up at work because I got to get that money. Hey Ben, and I've got to provide for my family. See, that's exalted, and that's a good thing to do. I'm not denying that. But what about spiritual things? Yeah. Now I got to sleep in this morning because I was up till two, and I'm too tired. Well, then be consistent. Tell your boss that. Otherwise, you prove you're an idolater. Because you'll sow to those temporal things. See, when you believe this, really, when I look back, this is when you order your life this way. You see, I just have to be consistent. Amen? I've got to treat God like he truly is God. And like I love him supremely. And so if I'm going to deny myself, Amen for, well, uh, my daughter's got a birthday, uh, and so I'm going to make sure that I, uh, it did not matter that I didn't, I'm going to stay up for a birthday party because I don't want to disappoint her, but I'll sleep through a prayer meeting. Something's wrong with that. Is that right? What could it, What could it mean? Other than God is less important than your daughter. You see, this is the pattern you begin to see. Long before they start drinking Jack Daniels, even if they never drink Jack Daniels, they begin to swap around, begin to you know. So I can't do this. I can't give myself to this spiritual thing because of A, B, C, or D. Like the prophet Hosea said, they will not frame their doings to turn under their God. You know, to turn to God. You know, Jeff would do plan. <laughs> you got to make changes. When you turn, when you see, Amen, that your heart is drifting, Amen, and you've got to listen to me. When you're single, that's bad enough, but when you're a husband and a father, it's detrimental to your whole household. And now, uh, uh, my heart, I've got to frame my doings so I can turn unto God. I've got to make plans. I've got to make choices to deny the natural things, Amen. See, amen, uh, many times people are very careful to the visible. They're very cautious, faithful to the visible, but they lose their burden for the unseen, amen, by going their own way and not constantly looking into the perfect law of liberty. What does the Bible say is going to happen? You're going to forget. You're going to forget. You're not the exception. If you're not looking constantly... Into the perfect law, the face of the perfect, that's Jesus, that's that's the word of God. Amen, and that's not just reading a, a promised verse every day on a little magnet stuck on your refrigerator that's praying through to the tangible presence of God and being in his very presence and seeing him as he is, and then you understand who you are and you are listen to me, you have the tendency, and I have the tendency to wander without him. you know the exception? You don't have those seasons. Well, you're pressing in. That should be really every day. Shouldn't be the exception. But I just know by experience and talking to people, they can go weeks and months without such experiences in the spirit. And if that happens, it don't matter how much you can put on the table, the preaching, etc., and so forth. You're gonna to have to see Jesus. For yourself or you're going to forget who you are and you forget who you are, and what manner of man you are, you're going to be in lots and lots of trouble. Amen. There has to be preparation and preparation demands your full attention. This is your life. Noah's life. You go through Genesis chapter 6 and from the point that God told him and instructed him, that was it. That was Noah's life until the flood came. Amen. And I'm not saying that he didn't uh, have, uh, you know, other things occasionally that he did. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying this was the balance of his passion. His concentration was on accomplishing the will of God. Secondly, separation. From the world, absolutely crucial, by the which he condemned the world. I love that. Because that's like, you don't want to condemn the world. That's how they act today effeminate, a dull knife, antichrist, another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. You better believe that world is condemned by the word of God. Yes, sir. And we stand with the word of God. If you consider the ark, the ark's nature, its construction, its architecture, and its purpose, all ultimately separated Noah and his family from everything else. See, now, as you meditate on this, you have to understand In Noah's day, the ark was the only place on earth that was exclusively safe. There was absolutely no other place in the entire world that a man or woman could go to survive the judgment of God. None. That's how exclusive it was. And likewise, it's the same really today. And it's important for us to understand that, that Jesus is our only refuge. It is the only place safe in all the universe. It is the one and exclusive place of salvation. There is no hope outside of the gospel and the narrow way. But contrary to what most people want to admit The nature of the kingdom, for the most part, is divided into two extremes. And we clearly see this in our example in this story of Noah and the ark. It was either the ark or it was judgment. Amen. There was no other viable choices. Noah and his family, obviously, they saw this. No one else on the entire earth Saw it, but them. Amen. Do you recognize that? This is, this is not a fable. This is history. It took place. Amen. Every last person on earth that believed God, every last person on earth that believed his word found themselves safely in the ark. And that would have been true for anyone that would have sought God and heard his word. 1 Peter 3 and 20 says, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. That's pretty encouraging, right? Well, we know somebody can be saved. But that ain't a lot of people. Well, that, that doesn't fit into this new, you know, crossless gospel. Few were saved. So make no mistake, listen to me. The devil always, when you begin to consider that, and the last days will be like the days of Noah, I'm not suggesting only eight people are going to be saved, but it's going to be just like the Bible said few. But the devil's always seeking to broaden the perspective to blur the lines of moral demarcation, to cunningly move the narrative from only black and white by attempting to add a wider stroke of acceptable gray. It's not as the scriptures teach, I word you hot or cold, but rather the satanic suggestion, oh, to be lukewarm is not so bad. After all, our God is a God of love and mercy, and he will overlook Yet reality, as the Bible teaches, is very plain. It's either heaven or hell. There is no such thing as purgatory. It is the narrow way or the broad way. The narrow way is the way of God, and that way leadeth to life. While the broad way includes the way that seemeth right to man, but the end thereof is death. Spiritual reality, more times than not, it's definitely either or rather than both. And most of the time, the things in the kingdom, you have a choice. Amen. A or B. Life or death. The word of God. Receive it. Amen and live. Reject it and die. This is why, men, we must find the narrow way for our homes. And then carefully and fearfully act Accordingly, the Bible says of Noah, amen, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. He didn't do most of it. He didn't do the majority of it. He did every last thing that he was commanded to do. Amen. He forgot nothing. He ignored nothing. Amen. He did exactly perfectly what God told him to do. Noah and his family, having presumably never seen rain or never seen a flood, probably didn't have a broad understanding of marine engineering. I'm sure they probably have never built a boat. Amen. they probably never even seen a boat, I'm assuming. Amen. You know, you just can't carelessly cut down a few trees and throw them together and call it a boat and expect it to float, much less survive a worldwide flood, amen? There's some important laws of physics that you cannot violate when you are building, amen, a seaworthy vessel. But they simply built the ark, not because they had personal understanding, but they built it according to God's design. Do you understand? Amen. They didn't know exactly what they were doing. They, They didn't know all the intricacies and the details of building such a vessel. They just obeyed what he said. Amen. And it's construction in the end faithfully accomplished exactly what God intended. Amen. So over the course of time, however long it took them to build that ark, whether it was 50 or 75, a hundred years, they are implementing the plan or the vision of God moment by moment. They are overcoming They are adapting, they are applying the principles and fitting, amen, every new board, if you will, amen, pitching it carefully within and without, every inch, making sure to keep everything outside from getting inside. See, outside was death. Inside was life. Amen. And so, you know, the vision was not just about Their salvation. The vision was about maintaining life. Life. Stewards of life. Inside the ark, it was exclusively life. Outside the ark, it was exclusively death. The ark was designed, obviously, to keep all floodwaters outside. Nor was there to be anything inside the safety of the ark that God intended to destroy by the waters of judgment. So there was a very strict separation, amen? And so obviously the lesson, amen, is separation. The ark, amen, represents many things to us. In fact, the ark is a type of Christ in the broader sense. But for our purposes in this message, the ark is typical of separation, It is a vivid model of complete and total separation from the world. If you want to raise a godly family, amen, anytime, but especially in these perilous times, you must be separated from the world. Amen. In fact, as you've heard me say, you cannot be too separated. Indeed, First John two fifteen through 17, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the pride of the life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth. Oh, but Brother Brent, what is the world? How come some people say this is worldly and some people say that's worldly? Amen. I can tell you this. You better determine what's worldly and what's not. Amen. If you don't know what it is, you're in bad trouble. Amen, you better know what's worldly, and you better know what's not worldly so that you can obey God. But if you ask such a question, you already revealed you don't even know what is worldly and what's not worldly. Amen, the Holy Ghost will tell you what to get away from, and he's going to tell you to get away from a lot of things. Amen, because a lot of things, amen, that we experience as human beings is of this world, amen, being very, very careful, amen, but necess- But uh, nonetheless, separation from the world is not always us clearly understanding and discerning danger, but simply hiding ourselves in Jesus with fear and trembling, not trusting ourselves, Obeying the leading, the prompting, and the teaching of God's Spirit. Always with the principle, I would rather err on the side of holiness. Be far better to be too separated than not separated enough. Amen. You're not going to go to heaven one day (laughs) and say, I could have done this, but I didn't. I could have had so much fun doing that. I'll say that. As the people go, oh, God, why didn't I hear you? Why didn't I separate? You know, I look back on things that God, you know, told me to do and, and told me to establish, and I shared some of that with you last week. I mean, with business and child rearing and work and everything, I didn't understand lots of times why. Sometimes I had an idea. Sometimes I didn't. I just knew this is the way God wanted me to build this ark. Amen. Not knowing exactly. Well, what am I? Why are you doing that? that that's, and people, that that seems kind of extreme. Amen. There, there are a lot of times people. You know, that, that seems so. You know, overkill. Do you really believe that's necessary? Can you answer that? It might not have been some something overtly wicked, but all I knew to say is, amen, for me, I've got to separate from that. For me, I cannot do that. I'm going to obey God. But in retrospect and looking back, you see the wisdom and the hand of God. You know, when we began our family journey, our goal with our children was to create as it were, a spiritual safe place. That's just basically, you know, a summary of what we were doing. And what we saw in the modern churches where children were basically put, uh, or their experience was just all sorts of doors open to the enemy. There was no spiritual safe haven. Understand, a four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. A, a year old. A, a child is different than an adult. And of course, you know, God doesn't want any of us to be exposed to sin or worldliness in an unrighteous way. Amen? Is that right? But there's certainly influence. Children, God made them to be impressionable so that parents can teach them. A child is not going to have the same sort of you know, conviction at four years old that someone 25-year-old is going to have because God made them to be teachable and pliable, if you will, so their parents can instruct and influence them righteously. So understanding that, we wanted to create a spiritual safe place. Uh, and, and, And understand, now we have children. And of course, I don't know, maybe we... You know, of course, you know you're going to have children. But it's not, if you're not planning children, too bad. You got them now. Right? You got a responsibility. Can't be like, well, <laughs> this is really going to throw a wrench. It's going to throw, you better believe it's going to throw a wrench. You put everything on hold for 20-something years. Because you're not going to be able to do even what you used to do when you were single. And if you don't want to give it, then you weren't ready to get married. Now you have children, then play the man and play the woman. So understanding this, okay, we're going to have to shape our life to some degree. But there's going to have to be some, just some choices made. Even where we live, how, how, where we go, who we involve ourselves with, what sort of things are allowed in the home, et cetera, and so forth. And I'm not saying it would have been radically different if we didn't have children. But, of course, there are some things, amen, that maybe perhaps I could do that I you would not want a four-year-old to do because it would influence them in a negative way, amen? A place where those under our spiritual care, namely our children, would have the optimal opportunity to be preserved, amen? Think about it. When you think about the ark, on dry land, under, you know, sunny skies, which had never produced a thunderstorm, that ark was a strange and unusual sight. There was no place on earth like it at the time. Amen. No, no place remotely like it. And that's why God had to oversee its construction. It was an oddity. It wasn't something in the mind of man. And so likewise, when you begin to build your house, your spiritual house, your ark to the saving of your household, perhaps it's going to be perceived as it was with us. Oh, that's a lot of wasted time and materials. You're giving up a lot of conveniences. Do they have a hospital there? How far is Walmart? I mean, there were... Dozens of things people said. Who needs a boat that big? Don't you think that's extreme? Are the times really that dangerous? A lot of pressure. Likewise, your home, your spiritual safe haven must be built by faith even though the world rages. It's not going to be the norm of the present culture. Amen. To that perishing world, it's going to seem extreme, unnecessary. Perhaps they'll think it's even cruel to your children. You wouldn't bring your children to Disney World. (laughs) I wouldn't bring my dog to Disney World. What they think that—that's—that's that's a real quote from one of my customers. We had to slow down. We had to simplify. It was on purpose. We had to purposely create or build under the Holy Ghost leading, Amen. To artificially establish a spiritual atmosphere free from distraction and is and as limited in temptation. As possible. Do you understand? In other words, it was very purposeful. Amen, we're going to do this and we're going to isolate. We're going to separate. Amen, we're going to watch who our children have anything to do with. Amen, grandparents, they don't have any right to my children. They're not going to be alone. All these decisions were made. That's where that came from. This was something thought out, thought through, because there was a vision given, a spiritual safe space, as sin sterile as full adherence to grace would allow, where we became our children's primary, if not lone peer group. You see, that's where, you know, the breakdown of the family unit Separating your children, placing your children with their friends, and then their friends become their peer group. And I think I brought this up. You know, when I was 18, I I care less about what my parents thought, but I was worried about what my best friends thought. Is that right? Because that system had undermined the authority and relationship with parents. You don't have to send your, public, your children to public school to do that. But that's why. One of the reasons why. What about socialization? That's exactly why we homeschool. We don't want your vile children to have anything to do with our vile children. Or those vile teachers or whatever. Because evil communication is corrupt. Amen, good manners. And a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So we became the peer group of our children. Amen, where they're concerned. That relationship, and it's not just because you can lock them up with yourself and they can hate you, amen? That You have to cultivate relationships, but you ha- you have to also separate them, amen, from other individuals their age. Not completely, but you cannot allow. That's why all that, you know, it's it really I don't I don't think I've ever even had a, a, a conversation with my do you have any friends? I'm your friend. I mean I've never really even had that. And if that my if my children I, I don't have any friends. Like we had we had one time people here they, they gave their children candy to go hand out to other children so they could be friendly to them, so they could have friends. That's sickening. You, you, you're setting your it's ridiculous. You know, be, be, be a Christian. There's nothing wrong with having friends. And I believe that being friends is Christian. But it should not be a priority. I've got to have friends or else. I cannot be content. Amen. I have to be, listen to me, seek the approval and the praise that comes from God alone. That's got to be called. If everybody hates me and I don't have any friends because I'm following Jesus, then I'm content with that. Amen? We likewise understood God didn't want our children to be exposed to anything sinful or worldly outside of the proper context. And what I mean by that is, remember, in the Bible, the Bible's filled with you know, stories and descriptions of sin, even gross sin. There's murder, amen, right there in the beginning. Is that right? There's idolatry, fornication, adultery, even got sodomites trying to rape uh, angels. There's the rejection and the brutal murder of the Lord Jesus Christ. What could be a more vile sin than that? Yet in the scriptures, amen, sin is presented in the proper context. It's always judged, and righteousness is always commended by God. There is a proper context. So, and, you know, you have people that'll say, well, what about bringing our children out to, you know, certain places, and they're exposed to all sorts of language and behavior and degrees of immodesty and what have you. And I do believe there would be lines that any of us, like I said, I'm not going to, you know, spring break, Uh, On the beach with coeds, I'm not. That's that's across the line, amen. And I I can find another way to preach to those people. But generally speaking, amen. When you bring your children out and you're ministering in the open air and preaching to sinners, it's in the proper context. Sin is being denounced, amen. Uh, Sinners are exposing themselves for what they are in reality. Otherwise, these people in these churches, these vanilla churches and wimpy religious, and they they work with these same God haters that are ripping their clothes off, grabbing their genitals, and say they want to sodomize Jesus on Tuesday at SLU. Amen. They're working with some of these, uh, or have contact with them at school, and they're the nicest people they ever met. And they're left with the wrong. Well, that guy, he's not. He's an atheist, but. He's so nice. No, well, he might be nice. Amen. When, when the light's not exposing his sin, but under the preaching of the gospel, Amen. His heart is manifest. That is profitable. That's being exposed to sin in a profitable, profitable way, like reading the Bible. Amen. But this is where, you know, television and uh, the equivalents of television today, YouTube and the internet, all that, so very dangerous, amen. So, you know, of course, there are documentaries. There's information, uh, videos, you know, and those things are helpful and very convenient. And I'm not saying uh, I've used those myself. How do you fix this? I've never done that. Let's look it up on YouTube. Those things were never available years ago, and those are very helpful, amen. But, uh, you know, most of what you have, to, especially in regards to entertainment, It is fiction, and fiction is not reality. Fiction is not subject to the law of God. Fiction is not subject to the law of sowing and reaping. So now when you consider Hollywood, Hollywood has always been corrupt. Hollywood has always been contrary to Christ. It has always been the enemy of God. Even when, you know, you go back in, uh, in time and, and beloved shows like the Andy Griffin show, amen, Jesus and the scriptures were rarely, if ever, even mentioned, certainly not honored and taught. So even those shows that had some moral, uh, boundaries or what have you, amen, they, they weren't overtly against but they were never obviously far. Do you understand? And and don't think for one moment that these things are not important. Because stories, and I learned this in college when I took a, a creative writing class, Amen. All stories, fiction, parables, you know, myths, all these things, they all communicate a moral lesson. That's where that phrase, what is the moral of the story? And even though that is often maybe perhaps subconscious, when you are watching, you're being entertained. And listen to me, the creators of many of these shows and these producers in Hollywood, they understood this perfectly. Amen. And they used it as social engineering to change people's opinions. But don't think that some, you know, some story or parable or myth, amen, is just harmless because it's, you know, doesn't have a a lot of overt sin. Amen. What's the moral of the story? Amen. So, you know, when I was a child, there was still, you know, typically some more restraint. And uh, there were shows... You know, like Leave it to Beaver. and no, some of you may not. Or Ozzy and Harriet. Me and Brian and brother, I remember those. Oh, the Brady Bunch. That was in the wild 70s. But there were two parent families. You know, they showed the, the husband and the wife in the bedroom. They were in separate beds. I mean, that didn't change till. And there was no cursing. And they, everything was fairly traditional, and even again, I'm not saying it was profitable for Christians to expose themselves to that, but it wasn't overtly against, amen? The Westerns, amen, the police traumas, whatever, shows like Gunsmoke and Bonanza, always, it's just an hour show, but in an hour, all the bad guys died or repented. Everybody that was bad, the thieves and the murderers and the liars, they all got shot up or they repented. Something happened to them in one hour. Amen. And so you see, it's communicating. If I'm a thief or if I'm a murderer, if I'm a a dishonest, Ben Cartwright, you know, again, wasn't perfectly Christian, but Ben Cartwright was honest. You know, he was upright, had integrity and this sort of thing. But all the bad guys, they had to pay the price. You had police traumas Adam 12 and the Rockford Files. and Colombo and different things. All the police and all of the detectives, they were honest. They were justly upholding the law. communicate authority must be obeyed and submitted to. But now all those lines have been grossly blurred, amen, if not altogether turned upside down. I mean, today the bad guys win. And you see, they're not subject to... See, in reality, if you live long enough and in all your relationships with people, God's Word will be played out. All the principles of the Word of God will be played out right in front of you. Amen. The way of a transgressor is hard, and it's always hard. Amen. It doesn't matter how rich they are. That's why Marilyn Marilyn Monroe or Elvis Presley got all more money than you could ever burn or spend Fame, popularity, power, amen, women, men, romance, whatever they wanted in the night, seemingly had it all, amen, and they blow their brains out, commit suicide, or overdose on drugs because they're miserable. Life is teaching the Bible. It's true. Amen, but fiction, you see, that's all when people just stuck to phones and just letting fiction play over their mind. They're, not, they're, they're being taught that sin pays and righteousness, amen, penalizes. I was reading one time about uh, All in the Family, and some of you, many of you don't know what that is, but it was really a groundbreaking show in the 70s, and it was hilarious. It was a well-thought-out, you know, from a sinner's point of view, I an mean, absolutely hilarious show. But the creator of the show and the producer, Norman Lear, was a diehard liberal, a leftist, a Marxist even. And what they did, very calculated, this wasn't just by chance, it wasn't demonic, it was demonic, but they knew exactly what they were doing. They took Archie Bunker, amen, and they he was patriotic, he said he was, you know, a Christian. He said he believed, he said he was Catholic, but he was, you know, a believer in God. He quotes the Bible. He, he believes in hard work. He was against all the hippies. And, you know, he was Republican. And, uh, you know, his, but then, so they put all the things that are true. And I'm not saying everything was true, but a lot of the things that are true, characteristics and attributes of truth, they put that in the mouth of that character but then he was a bigot and he was a hypocrite and et cetera and so forth. He was the most unlikable character on the show. And then they had Meathead. That was his (laughs) son-in-law. And he was a leftist and a hippie and he shacked up with his daughter and they, uh, you know, they're, they're just fighting for everything wicked and unclean. And then they had his wife who was kind of dingy, but uh, they, but the, the shows, they addressed abortion and they addressed divorce and they addressed all these issues, marijuana and legalizing drugs and homosexual things that were really pushing the envelope. And they did that all the while, couched in entertainment, couched everybody laughing, but it's communicating something to people and very effectively can change their views. And so likewise, when you're establishing a home, you need to be understanding of these things, and particularly those phones, computers, and internet. Amen. I know, and uh, you know, they make me very, very uh, nervous. I, I don't want to say because I, I have a computer. I, I don't believe you necessarily have to get rid of your computer or your iPhone, but you better know yourself. There's some people that can handle, be desolate enough to carry around an iPhone. Without any checks or accountability. And there's others that certainly cannot. Amen. Certainly children should not be exposed to just getting on the internet. That is insanity. Amen. The world like vanity fared, every turn is wooing and calling. The world, you know, it's a spirit. That's why you can go places, and sometimes there's this temptation. Every one of us know that. In different places, under different circumstances, you can sense a pulling and a wooing and the enemy trying to paint the world as something, you know, attractive and something that you should consider. Amen. How much more our children, little children, they should not be exposed to anything whereby it could give a door to the enemy. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Amen. It has to be your heart to separate. Amen. God has to, there's some things, God, and there's some things that perhaps you separate from that someone else might not, and it might not be something or obviously that the Bible clearly addresses. But nevertheless, you've got to want to separate from anything and everything that God wants you to separate from. And if you're really hearing God, that's going to happen. Everyone that I was around that was spiritual, they, they were, you know, they go, oh, God's telling me not to read a newspaper again. Wow. You didn't get around people with all they talked about was something in the natural. They were, God was dealing with. by the which Noah condemned the world. So Noah wasn't attempting to condemn anyone, but rather, amen, he was seeking to save. That was his focus, amen. But in doing so, as the old preacher said, he damned everybody he didn't save, amen. He was consumed with building an ark, but by doing so, he set the stage for God's waters of judgment. In his day, much like ours, they refused to listen. But his boat taking shape before their eyes was an unmistakable message that judgment is coming. And finally, the last point here as we close. Actualized, executed, brought to fruition by faith. Amen? The ark was actualized, executed, and brought to fruition. Solely by faith. And became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And heir there means one who literally receives, one who possesses or obtains his allotted portion to him by the right of sonship. So the vision that God gave Noah was actualized in time. Amen. It was in eternity with God in the mind of God. But it was actualized in time by faith. The ark was something of heavenly origin. It was of divine wisdom. And yet it was merely a thought in the mind of God. So obviously and most importantly, there would have never been an ark, as I said earlier, apart from God. Nevertheless, that ark didn't just appear because God thought it. Now, I'm not saying God could have made an ark appear. But that wasn't his plan or his intention. If he doesn't have a man to believe, there's no need for an ark. Everything's going under the water. So God had to find a man of faith to believe his word and to embrace and birth a vision. That ark was revealed, supernaturally pulled from the very mind of God and built by human hands after God's meticulous. Instruction. It was manifested in time by the man Noah because he was someone who simply believed what God told him and put that into practice. It's that simple. That's all he did. He simply heard what God said, and he put it into practice. In the days right before the coming of the Son of Man, when the Son of Man will be revealed, will be like the days of Noah when people are running around, caught up in the cares of life, not hearing from God. Amen. Don't be like that, Jesus is saying. Be like Noah, a man who heard from God, who believed what God said and put it into practice. And it will manifest in time. That vision will become a reality. May we, and these dangerous and things. Especially those of you just establishing your families in them. Both see and hear.